Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a five-week teaching series called How to Change Your Relationships, and we're learning that we change our relationships by changing ourselves. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful to gather with you as we pursue life together. Hey, let me begin by asking y'all a question about parenting. If you're following in your notes right out of the gate, have you ever thought, this is not how I thought things would be? This is not how I thought things would be, right? Before having kids, Sarah and I had taken all the classes. We had read the best pre-parenting books we could find. We had prayed every day for this new life. We were ready. I had this parenting thing nailed, and I hadn't even started yet. And if I'm honest, I expected my kids to be a lot like Jesus, to be sinless, that they would always respect me, they'd always love me, they'd always obey me, they'd never disagree with me. So entering parenting with those realistic expectations, I've wrestled with the phrase, this is not how I thought things would be. This is not how I thought my children would act. This is not how I thought they would treat their mother and me. This is not the decision I thought they would make. This is not how I thought I would react to situations. This is not how I thought I would parent. This is not how I thought things would be. And as the years went by, rather than becoming more like Jesus in my parenting, I tried to use anything I could. I pulled levers of fear and guilt and shame to manipulate behavior so my kids would obey me because then I'd look successful as a parent. I don't know if anybody else tracks with that. However, in every situation, these tactics led to two outcomes. Either my actions fell short in bringing about the behavior modification I desired, and I had to deal with the continued bad behavior, and then I had to deal with the self-hatred, self-condemnation, and the guilt that went along with the way I acted. Or, here's the other outcome, the action did work to secure the short-term behavior modification that I wanted, but I was left picking up the wreckage of poor parenting, and I then dealt with the self-condemnation, the guilt and shame of parenting in a way that wasn't consistent with the ways of Jesus. There were no winners in either scenario, only losers. And these ways of parenting and trying to change my children affected my relationship with my children. And I, I just don't think I'm alone in this. As followers of Jesus, many of us go to Christian parenting books, and in many of those books, there is a consistent principle that is taught that is inconsistent with the way of Jesus. Here's the myth that most Christian parenting books will give you. If you're following in your notes, if you do this thing, whatever that thing is, you will get a positive result, and you can change your kid. It's just not true. At least in my experience, it is not true. In parenting or any other way of life, including following Jesus, A does not equal B. And it's important that we remember this. And it's important that we remember that the way in which we do that thing we do is often more important than the thing we do. 
Because we can do the right thing in the wrong way and it becomes the wrong thing. And that's what I lived. And as I've read dozens of parenting books over the years looking for a silver bullet to change my kids, I came to this startling discovery. Startling discovery. Many parenting books written for parents are all about kids. They shouldn't be called parenting books at all. They should be called kidding books. I'm kidding, but not, not really. They might provide some techniques to employ or some strategies to attempt or some tricks to land a knockout punch, but the goal is all about how parents can do something, whatever that something is, to get the results they want in order to change their children. Don't hear me say there's not good parenting advice to be found. I'm grateful for many of those books. Some of it's extremely helpful, like learning to connect before you redirect or setting clear boundaries and consequences ahead of time so you're not making consequence decisions in the heat of battle. But the freeing truth that I've discovered is that the most important parenting strategy is becoming more like Jesus in my own life. And that's because following Jesus impacts everything. It changes us. It impacts how I react or respond. It it impacts the words I use. It impacts the discipline I practice. It impacts how I admit my failures and go back and ask for forgiveness. It impacts everything. And I'm not perfect by any means. I'm going to say that a few times today. I hope you hear that loud and clear. I am not perfect. I still don't have all this figured out. But by taking the teachings of Jesus seriously and taking the word of God seriously, it has changed my relationship with my kids. I'm now at a place where I'm convinced. I'm convinced parenting is almost completely about me and has nothing to do with my children. I know that sounds ridiculous. I just said it, and it sounds ridiculous to me, but it's true. Parenting is about the parent, and over the next few minutes, I want to explore what the Bible has to say about parenting ourselves first before we parent our kids and try to change them. And that's what this teaching series is all about. We're in a series called How to Change Your Relationships. And what we're learning throughout this series, if you're following in your notes, is the way we change our relationships is by changing ourselves. And today we're talking about how to change your kids. So if you've ever found yourself tired of parenting, burned out by strategies that didn't accomplish what you wanted and continually filled with feelings of failure as a parent, then I'm glad you're here because Jesus invites us into a better way of parenting. He invites us into a different way of living. And so wherever you find yourself today, let me name a few of those places because I don't think this is just for parents. You don't have kids, right? But one day you hope to. I wish I would have known this 15 years ago. Or you have grown kids or you're a grandma and grandpa or you don't have kids, but you're an aunt or an uncle or you're a spiritual mother or father to someone younger than you. Let me also talk to the students in the room. Students, kids, Let me just say a couple words to you. Can I tell you a secret this morning? Just lean in. I'll tell you a secret. We adults like the verses in the Bible that talk about how you should behave. 
more than we like the ones that teach us how to behave. And today we're going to talk about some verses that teach us how to behave. And I want you to lean in and listen. And I want to encourage you to go home and ask some questions. Ask some questions about why you do what you do or why your parents do what they do. Just have an honest conversation. But this is for you as well. So wherever you find yourself today, I believe God has something to say to you. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Just go from the beginning, five books in Deuteronomy, chapter 6. From early on in the story of the Bible... It's clear, we can see this all over the place, but particularly today in the scripture we're gonna look at, if you're following in your notes, we see this, we need to lead by example. We need to lead by example. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to seven, says these words. Would you read this with me? It's a little bit longer, but these are such foundational instructions in the entire Bible for God's people. Would you read this with me, uh, full voice church, at home or in the room? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them as you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Man, can I just hit the pause button and say, it is such a joy just to read scripture together. I love hearing the family of God read God's word. So good. So imagine the context of this statement. Moses, the great leader of God's people, is about to die. He has led nearly a million people wandering around a desert for 40 years, and they're now poised to enter the promised land, the the land God promised his people a thousand years earlier. He's addressing the people for the last time. So famous last words. It's got to be pretty important what he's going to share with the people. And he says this, the most important thing in your life, is loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Notice Moses places the responsibility squarely on the individual listener. He's telling people to take care of his or her relationship with God before anything else. And I also find it interesting, just for extra credit, that the home is the discipleship strategy that God chose. And why, from the very beginning, fathers and mothers are central to the spiritual formation of their children. If you go back to Deuteronomy 4.9, he instructs grandparents in the same way. So if you're grandparents, don't discount your influence. And this famous passage will go on to talk about passing faith on to your children. But before the scripture ever talks about passing on faith, it commands us to live this out ourselves. And the implications of that are huge. We can't expect our children to rise above our example. If my kids don't see me spending time in God's word, they probably won't either. If they hear me using inappropriate language, they'll think it's okay. If they see me scream at their mother, they will think it's okay to demean women or their future spouse. If they watch me prioritize club sports over gathering on Sunday mornings, that's what's going to get communicated 
If they don't see me trust God in difficult times, then they'll learn to rely on themselves. We can try to teach our kids to do as we say, but our words only go so far when they're contradicted by our actions. And so I say this all the time, but if you're following in your notes, I believe this to my core. The most important thing parents can do, the most important thing anybody can do, is to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to become more like Jesus. It's to grow in likeness of Jesus, to let him shape your life. Kids need to see Jesus in their mom or dad more than anything else. They need to see us struggle and wrestle with how to live a lifetime of faith. And if our match doesn't, if our, if our walk doesn't match our talk, it's very confusing and damaging to our relationship with our kids, right? We have this desire to change our kids, but if we're living inconsistent lives, then we're just spinning our wheels. When Ben was two years old, uh, we were sitting in the car waiting for Sarah to come out of the house. And I've come to learn that before leaving the house, Sarah and most moms, I hope you can relate to this, you check to make sure everything is in order, right? All the bags, all the sunglasses, all the chapstick, all the drinks, all the snacks. And by doing this, Sarah has saved our family from having to return home countless times. And on this particular occasion, Ben and I, two-year-old Ben, were sitting in the car, we're waiting for Sarah to come out, and from the car seat directly behind me, I hear a two-year-old high-pitched voice say, come on, Sarah. <laughs> now, I'm not sure what's worse, the fact that he said that, or my first thought was, I wonder where he heard that. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me and reminded me that kids model what they see. I could have taught Ben till I was blue in the face to be patient and to respect his mom, but my actions outweighed my words, and he was modeling what he saw me do. Parents, hear me say this. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about being allowed to make a bad decision or have a challenging day or a mistake-filled week. For the record, I think some of our best teaching as parents come after we mess up. We confess, we repent, we go to our children and ask for forgiveness. Reggie Joyner, uh, author and pastor, captures this false idea of being perfect by saying this. Too many of us buy into the myth that we need to become the right kind of parent before God can use us. In reality, God is longing to tell his story through our imperfections and brokenness. And what I'm wanting us to grasp, parents, is the fact that you will have more influence than anyone else in your children's lives. That impact can be negative or positive, but what we do will make an impact on our kids. And my conviction is the way we have the greatest opportunity to change our relationship with our kids and in turn have a greater influence on our kids is by prioritizing Jesus in our own lives and changing ourselves first. So you might be saying, I do that. I do that. I, I, I seek to do that. I want Jesus to shape my life. But you're still wondering, then why do I continue to experience frustration in parenting and continue saying, this is not the way I thought things would be? I'm glad you asked. 
I believe it is because we continually and frequently confuse goals and desires, and it has terrible consequences in our relationship with our children. I'm not exaggerating to say to you, what we're about to talk about for the next few minutes has changed my life, my parenting, and my relationships. Even though I still mess it up all the time, it has had a significant impact in my life. In Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over the Darkness, he distinguishes between goals and desires, and he states that a goal is any specific orientation that reflects God's purpose for your life and is not dependent on other people or circumstances beyond your ability to control. So let me rephrase that if you're following in your notes. A goal is not dependent on people or circumstances beyond our control. In other words, we can have goals for ourselves, but not for other people, because we can't control other people. He goes on to contrast how a desire differs from a goal writing. A godly desire is any specific result that depends on the cooperation of other people. So if you're following in your notes, a desire depends on the cooperation of other people and circumstances, and we cannot control its fulfillment. So let me flesh that out just a little bit more. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means that we can have desires for our children. We all have desires. Who they will become when they grow up. What college or vocational school they might attend. Who they'll marry. Decisions they will make about friends, money, and following Jesus. But what frequently happens is parents, myself included, turn these desires into goals. And when parents create goals for their children to live up to that they can't control, the result is often anger, frustration, anxiety, depression, because we can't control our children. I found in my life, when I experienced anger or depression in my parenting, I frequently turned a desire into a goal. When I'm angry, it's usually because a goal of mine has been blocked. Like I had a goal realistic goal, that my boys would shower, brush their teeth, go to the bathroom, and be in bed by like eight o'clock at night. And on nights when that didn't happen, I got angry because my goal was blocked, and it took away from my time to relax and not have to parent anymore for the day. It's a bad goal. When I feel depressed, it's often because the expectation or outcome I had hoped for was impossible. I think about a goal that I had in my mind before we even had kids, that my boys would always respect each other. Many times after there would be a fight in the house and I would enter into the fight, I was left depressed because of the impossible goal that I had set. In both instances, my blocked or impossible goal depended on someone other than me. And listen, if we impose our desires as goals onto our children, we're going to be frustrated, and I guarantee our kids will be frustrated. And if you find yourself frustrated in your parenting today, perhaps you have confused goals and desires for your children. And getting this right either tempers or magnifies one of the greatest 
tensions in parenting. We are placed in authority over our kids. And in reality, we can't control them. It's one of the greatest tensions in parenting. If you're following in your notes, we can't change our kids, but we can influence them. We can change our relationship with our kids by realizing we can't change them. Author Paul Tripp says this. I want to put this on the screen. It is a great quote that summarizes this point. He says, parenting is not about exercising power for change in your children. Parenting is about your humble faithfulness in being willing to participate in God's work of change for the sake of your children. Parents, here's what you need to understand. God has given you authority for the work of change, but has not granted you the power to make that change happen. If we live with the mindset that we can change our kids in our own power, we're gonna keep running into a brick wall and it will affect our relationship with our children. Now, this may not seem to be true in your life right now. If you have small children, you can still pick them up and put them where you want them. But it becomes abundantly clear as children get older. I mean, even in our youngest, this just happened in our family. I'm sure it hasn't happened in your family throughout COVID at all. But as you've been doing homework at home, you've probably never heard the words like we heard, you can't make me do my homework. Probably just us. And in that moment, instead of parenting in the way of Jesus and engaging, what's going through my mind is, you're right, man, I can't make you do your homework, but I'm thinking about everything I can take away for the next 12 years. But he was right. I couldn't make him do it. I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. And if you find yourself living in that tension now alone, and here's what I want to say too, your children behaving in a certain way is not necessarily due to anything you've done. Remember, you're responsible for you. Your children are responsible for their own decisions as well. So you might be asking, then what does the Bible say is a godly goal? Okay, we know goals and desires, they're different. We can have desires for our children. We can have goals for ourselves. What does the Bible say is a godly goal for parenting? There are actually very few verses in the Bible about parenting. But in one of those, I think it does lay out a clear goal. The Apostle Paul gives us a godly goal for parenting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. If you're following in your notes, or uh, read the second gray box in your notes, would you? It's the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's a godly goal that reflects God's purposes for our lives and is not dependent on anybody else. Notice the goal is all about the parents, not the kids. I'm responsible for bringing my kids up in a certain way as a follower of Jesus. So if you're following in your notes, we're not responsible for the outcome, just the process. Because the process is the only thing we can control. 
And what this means, any desire we have for our kids, right? To be wise, to be caring, to be a good athlete, to get into a good school. And as followers of Jesus, let me add this. Our greatest desire for our children is that they would follow Jesus all the days of their life. Those cannot be our goals for parenting because we can't control them. And if we make those our goals, we are going to be disappointed, frustrated, depressed, angry, and most likely feel like we failed and will hurt our relationship with our kids because of what we're imposing on them. So let's use the example of our greatest desire. As followers of Jesus, as we're gathered here, our greatest desire is for our kids to follow Jesus. And since that can't be our goal, the question then becomes, and, and you can ask this question for any desire you have for your kids, relationships, marriage, any desire you have. This is the question we need to ask. You may even want to jot this down on your notes. What must I do now? What must I do now to provide the best possible opportunity for my child to follow Jesus? If that's the example we're using, what must I do now? Because that's what I can control. So today, I want to leave us with two practical what can I do nows with this example of our kids following Jesus. We've already talked about how we change the relationship by leading by example, recognizing the influence we have, by distinguishing between goals and desires. But I want to give you two what can I do now ideas. Here's the first one. If you're following in your notes, practice and talk about faith at home. That's something you can control. If you look back at our scripture on Deuteronomy 6, right, it says, talk about faith issues when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In Ephesians chapter 6, the words bring them up, that verb is present active, which means ongoing. Do this regularly. According to the Search Institute's nationwide study of 11,000 teenagers from 561 congregations across six denominations, let me share three statistics with you. The first one says, 12% of youth have a regular dialogue with their mom on issues of faith or life issues. That's one in eight. These are Christian families, Christian families that they interviewed in churches, one of eight. 5% of youth have a regular dialogue with their dad on issues of faith or life issues. That's about one in 20. And then the third statistic is that 9% of teenagers engage in regular reading or talking about the Bible with their families. It's about one, one in 10. I, I don't share those numbers to shame or guilt you at all, at all. I share those to spur us on to be intentional in this process of bringing up our kids. No one can take the place of mom or dad in the discipleship process. Parents are the most influential human beings in the lives of their kids. You don't need a seminary degree to do this. You just have to have conversations. And it doesn't need to be terribly long. In fact, the longer I've tried to make it, usually the worse it goes. But in the morning, we read a devotion together from a book or online. We ask a couple questions, and we pray to send the kids out the door. At dinner, you can ask the highs and lows, or where did they see God today? 
or read a short passage from Scripture and just ask the question, what, what do you think about that? What stood out to you? We need to influence our kids. We need to be intentional about it, and you can do it. God has equipped you and given you everything you need, and he's placed you in that position to do it. That's the first thing you can control. Practice and talk about your faith at home. The second, what can I do now that I want to leave us with today is, if you're following your notes, we desperately pray our desires for our children. Right? We can't make those desires come into fruition, but we can pray like crazy for them. Ultimately, parenting forces us to trust the goodness of God and his plans for our kids. I love this quote. Pastor Tony Merida in New Orleans states this. He says, parenting makes us desperate for God's help. Some days I think success equals keeping my children out of prison. Other days I think success is keeping myself out of prison. Both remind me I need God's help. So when we had young kids, we, uh, we called Pastor Gary, Jeff's dad, and Janie, his mom, over. We had heard stories that Jeff was a lively and energetic child. So we, we had them come over, and I remember this. We were sitting in our living room with Gary and Janie. They were in two chairs. We were on the couch, and the simple question we asked was, what advice do you have for young parents? What can we do? What can we do for our kids? What's the best thing we can do for our kids? And I'll never forget Gary, or actually it was Janie. She leaned in and she said, pray for your kids every day. Pray for your kids every day. And I remember I sat on the couch and I said these words, that's awesome. What else do you have? <laughs> and Gary said, pray for your kids every day. Pray every day. I'll be the first to admit that I don't pray for my children enough or the specific situations we find ourselves in as a family nearly enough. Even though I know I can't control my children, I still try to grasp and control situations and try to control them. And I long for us Cherry Hills to be a people who pray for our goals in parenting, pray for ourselves, but we pray for our desires for our children. Because ultimately, it is only the Holy Spirit who can bring about change in our kids. It is only the Holy Spirit. So to help you begin practicing this, we've created a month's worth of prayers for your children. And if you'd like to pray for your kids or your grandkids or the next generation, you can get this prayer guide in one of two ways. You can stop at the Connect Center on the way out and pick one up, or you can text right now the word PRAY, to 217-546-4818 and get a digital download of that month's worth of prayers for your children. But let's be a people who pray for our kids and the next generation. We've actually asked a couple in our church to close out this teaching today by praying for us and our children. So I wanna introduce Andres and Maushim Tejas as they pray for us. Good morning, Cherry Hills. My name is Andres Tejas. And I'm Maushin Tejas, and we're privileged to be here with you today. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your sovereignty. And we thank you for the honor of being called parents and for entrusting the care of our children to us for a short time. Help us to be united as we raise them 
and help us to make time to spend one-on-one with them to build our relationship. Remind us that parenting is a ministry and that you will provide everything we need to teach and to love them. Help us to encourage them to use their gifts to serve others and help us to have a genuine faith that is a good example for them to follow. Parenting may be difficult at times and we may feel defeated, but help us to look to you for guidance and for encouragement during these times. We thank you, Lord, that you are our perfect example of a father. And Lord God, by your grace and your power, please help us to live honest lives before you and our children. Help us, Lord, to drive away hypocrisy from our hearts and from our lips. Uh, Give us the strength, Lord, to have honest conversations with our kids, especially our teenagers, because we have so little time left with them. Guide us, Lord, to say we are sorry and to say we were wrong when we are and to say that we love them always, Lord. By your love, God, give us the wisdom to know how to let go of our children when our job is done and our role in their lives changes. They are your children, Lord, just as we are. And Lord God, for those of us that have sons and daughters who are grappling with their faith or who may not be living how you or we would want them to, but Lord, really who among us here is doing always what you want us to do? Father, for those of us Help us to reach the end of ourselves and to trust you and your word and your promises. They are faithful, Lord, as you are. Help us, Lord, to rest in your love always. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillschurch.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.